0: Are you a business owner, side hustler, or entrepreneur? Do you love to shop from culturally relevant businesses? Join me, Giselle Martin, host of Relate and Elevate podcast and member of the Latina Podcasters Network to meet inspiring Latinx business owners and learn empowering business tools. You can find my podcast and podcasts of my fellow Latina Podcasters Network wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.
1: the podcast you're about to listen to is so freaking good. I'm so excited to be sharing this interview with you. On today's episode of the Mamas Conganas podcast, we're talking to Aniela McGuinness, actress and improv comedy teacher. She also happens to be a two-time cancer graduate, right? You say graduate, Aniela. You don't yeah, say survivor. But I, now,
2: I now can say survivor. You My can now say survivor. No my okay. views on cancer have like so changed and adjusted and
1: i <laughs> one day it's this another day it's that there you go i need adjust. so i brought aniela to our show she's a dear friend of mine we met ma- we met what in 2015 16 no we, i think y- we met before i had cancer the, right? on the year that you were doing the elective surgery Okay. Yes. So we met
2: 2014 and that was the same year that I got diagnosed.
1: Yeah. So we met in, in March and we actually, but we didn't meet like that. We met online. Remember we were both both doing, um, a business course for actors. And I happened to ask a question and say, my name is Valentina from Miami. (laughs) And then Aniela was stalking the Valentina actresses in Miami on Facebook. Yeah. Most of the people participating in that program were from LA. You reached out, and then we connected immediately because we both are—we love to read books on self improvement, <laughs> right? <laughs> Am I wrong? Oh gosh, we we need help. We we are self help junkies. Yes, we're self help junkies. What, you know? What the audience doesn't know is that Aniela, and you might not know this either. You are somebody that although I don't talk to you very often, we see each other once in a while Mm because our lives sort of seem to interlap as actors and stuff. Um, you've taught me so much, like I can't even begin. I I might get teary eyed. I can't even begin to explain to you, like, like the impact you've had in my life. Although our journeys have been so different and I wanted to bring you on to the podcast because, and I'm very emotional today. I already told you before we started recording that, um, you know, I wanted to do a uh, a month on like overcoming fear and like fear because I feel like fear is something that we all face and it comes in different waves in our lives mm-hmm. in many different forms and it's also October is uh breast cancer awareness month. Yes. So when I started looking at okay, this is the topics that I want to talk about, I was like, "Oh my god, Aniela, I have to bring in Aniela because yeah, I've learned so much from your journey. Um, when we met, I think your mother had passed away, what, like a year beforehand, something like that, a year and a half?
2: Just barely a year, bar- like barely a year. My mom had passed away from ovarian cancer. So my mom had had cancer and I used improv comedy to actually help cope with that that loss and yes. being there on her deathbed and witnessing and being a part of that long, very difficult journey.
1: It was a long road because... Um, she, you were 22, right? When she was diagnosed.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was, di- I had just gotten out of college. I remember, I remember the moment she actually told me, which seems like, I remember that moment. You, you remember those moments. Um, and I had a broken ankle and I was going to, I had won tickets from Deco Drive to go to Paris Hilton's record release party <laughs> <laughs> at a club in Miami. <laughs> and I was going to go with my cast on, like, I was like, what else? Um, this is going to be fun. I'm going to wear a miniskirt. And I had to go down to Miami Beach to get the tickets. I'm not like a paracelson fan, but I was like, let me live outside of my comfort zone. And so we were getting ready to go do that that night. And my mother and father, my stepdad stopped by to tell me that my mom had been diagnosed with ovarian cancer and she was going into surgery that week. And I remember just kind of like, the shock, Um, and I did not go to Paris Hilton's thing that night, like I didn't, we ended up giving the (laughs) tickets to somebody else, because that would have been real weird, but it was like the juxtaposition of like one moment, within 10 minutes, I went from being like, I'm gonna go see Paris Hilton, to my mother has cancer, wow, and just that instantaneous, like your life changes, uh, and i have found that multiple times i remember when i got the call but i was diagnosed with cancer a year later uh, so, after my mom passed
1: now so, i remember yeah. also one of the things that you told me uh, when we were talking that year that i met you like a, like you said a barely a year after your mom passed that one of the things that had really helped you was doing like a silent retreat for 10 days mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> <laughs> so my, my mom was diagnosed at when i was 22 and then
2: she lived for I mean, I I got to my 30th birthday and my mom was still alive, which was amazing. Uh, And so I decided that for my 30th birthday, I wanted to spend it in silent meditation. And there was a place up in Massachusetts that I was going to. But then I was like, I'm going to go do this. I I heard about it from Oprah. Um, (laughs) We're both Oprah lovers. That's also... Oh, God. I'm so like... My (laughs) spirituality comes from Oprah. Uh, But she had... (laughs) She had this spirituality podcast years upon years ago, before like all the soul series stuff. And she had mentioned the pasana meditation. and she had somebody on talking about how they brought into prisons. and i I was probably twenty three. Like my mom had just been diagnosed. I was in the base. I wasn't even an actress yet. I was in the basement of the um the theater at the Adrian R Center cause I was a stagehand working for Florida Grand Opera. and I worked I did the props. And I was in the basement listening to this podcast and I remember just like, it kind of hit me. I am like, that sounds horribly hard. It's 10 days, no reading, no writing, no nonverbal communication, like no eye contact. You are meditating for um, like 10 hours a day. No it's- eye
1: contact.
2: <laughs> no, like you're not supposed to look at anybody else. Like you are in your thing you can't journal. You can't read a book and even like, that's like you, all you do is meditate. You can't exercise. Um, all meals are in silence. Like everything's in silence. And I'm like, that sounds insane. Yes. It but sounds I, <laughs> I want to do it. Like there was just something in me that I'm like, maybe when I turn 30. And so that was my 30th birthday gift was I turned 30 in the middle of silence um, of this retreat. And when I came out that like, it was an incredible, just ripping a part of oneself and that day I came out and I talked to my dad that evening, he told me that my mom had chosen to go into hospice. And so I went through this experience. I'm like, I remember the day I got out, I was like, man, that was the hardest thing I've ever done. And then I got out and I had to be with my mother on her deathbed over the next few weeks. Oh my and then that became the hardest thing I ever done immediately after. But it having done the silent meditation, changed my perspective a little bit, or at least gave me some kind of tangible tools to use while watching, while every moment getting worse and worse and worse. Like, I would think this is the worst it could be. And then the next moment my mother wouldn't be able to get up. The next moment she couldn't speak, the next moment she couldn't drink water. Like, And so I thankfully had something that could help with processing that without like just drinking myself into oblivion. Um, like the quarantine, yeah. <laughs> we're doing
1: now. Now, um, I I remember too that when we met you, because at the same time that you were dealing with your mom, you were mm-hmm. also you also already knew, right, that you had inherited. Uh, was it what is it called the BRCA one or the-, the
2: BRCA BRCA, BRCA mutation? Yeah, so I had the BRCA one mutation. I can knew that since I was twenty six.
1: Since you were twenty six, so can you tell our audience a little bit about? Um, what that is for those who don't know? Because the first time I had ever heard of that was with you.
2: Yes. um, There is a genetic mutation right on that DNA that you'll find that breast cancer or ovarian cancer runs in like a family line. And so they found that this mutation, now they have found a bunch more mutations, genetic mutations which contribute to breast cancer. But this is one of the early ones that they found and it, an average woman's, like you, we hear one in eight women will get diagnosed with breast cancer, right? It's October, so people are like, you're hearing this number all the time. And so that's really, I think it's like 12%. Um, it, with the BRCA mutation, I had an 80% chance that I would get breast cancer before I turned 70. So from 12% for the normal population, my risk was 80%. For ovarian cancer, the general population's risk of Ovarian cancer is like one point, like it's like, like two percent. It's like super small. Ovarian cancer is really rare, and my risk was a fifty percent chance of getting ovarian cancer. And so that meant because I knew so early, I was able to. And it's a question of like, do you want to know or do you not want to know? Like that's a genuine question because once you know, what are you going to do about it? Your options are. So some people opt tested. not
1: to know? Some people opt to literally yeah. not know? Yes, yeah, some wow. people rather not know. Because
2: it, it it's a heavy thing to know that you might get cancer. Because um, once you know it, you can't unknow it. Like, you can't not know that. I... Well, there was a definite part of me that had my head in the sand about it where I thought I wasn't going to get cancer. Like I genuinely didn't think I was going to get cancer. I was like, I'm real special. Like
1: I'm <laughs> so special.
2: Uh, there's no way I'm going to get cancer. Like, that's, okay, I girl. think that's how we all are.
1: We're like, "That doesn't, that's not going to happen to me. It's not going to happen <laughs> to me.
2: Like I know genetically. So I didn't think it was going to happen to me, but I went through the protocol of every six months I would get a mammogram done or, and then an MRI. So it was like teeter off like a mammogram, MRI, and I would get a vaginal ultrasound every six months. So every six months this would go down since I was 26. Wow. And I, I would show up and I would do them, but I definitely had my head in the sand of being like, oh, it's not going to be me though. And um, I remember the year before I actually got diagnosed with breast cancer. My MRI, my insurance note wasn't going to cover it. Like I'd done it. And then the insurance was like, no, we ended up negotiating it down to $2,000 for this MRI that I preventatively got done. I remember talking to my husband going like, you know what? I'm not going to get these MRIs done anymore. Like they're so expensive. This is insane. And my husband's like, no, no, like you are getting these done. And I was still like, I was, wasn't even 30 yet. Like I just was turning 30, like when all this was going down. And my husband changed our insurance because I was in the after my mother died. Um, I just I was like, you know what? I'm going to preventatively remove my breast. Like I just I'm not going to do this. I'm I'm getting cutting these things off. Angelina did it. And I'm like I'm cutting them off. And I decided to get one more MRI. My husband changed our insurance so that it would cover it. And so we got really good insurance because we were we knew I was going to get a preventative mastectomy, and insurance would cover it because of the mutation. And so we got like the best insurance cost, a ton of money. We're like, like, we're going to make sure that the insurance pays for all of this, the reconstruction. Great. And I got that last MRI done just for the heck of it. And it came back with something really small. And they were like, oh, well, we don't think this is anything. We'll watch it for six months. Like, that's what they told me. And I was like, well, I'm planning on getting these removed. So what does that mean? The doctor's like, ah, we'll have to do an ultrasound because they won't remove it if they don't know what this is. We did the ultrasound. They're like, yeah, it's it's there on the ultrasound too. We'll we'll get a biopsy. Two weeks later, I get this biopsy done, which hurts like hell. I'm really sorry to tell you all, biopsies are really uncomfortable. Um, and it came back positive for cancer, like, which was insane. Like I I already had all my doctors ready to get a preventive mastectomy done. That's where I was. Like I was 80% sure I wanted to do it. And then I yeah, right before like. I had appointments like I was ready and that I'd was a call the that
1: was the call that you that you documented right
2: yeah
1: how, and I want to ask you like how where did your courage come from like in order for you to show these vulnerable moments I'm always like how does Daniela let people in those moments when because I don't know when I when I'm going through my hard stuff I tend to shut down completely like yeah. in my cocoon like not wanting anybody to come in and just like hide (laughs) the last thing I want to do is be on social media when I'm not feeling good you know
2: I think that's actually a really great question um and in case anybody didn't understand I recorded the phone call being told I had cancer and then posted it to the internet so if you're kind of wondering like what we're talking about (laughs) that's that's what I did which seems insane so it's a mix there's so many so many layers of this so my mother was very private about her cancer. And um and it was hard on the rest of us because the caregiving fell on us and we needed help. Like I need I needed extra help. And because my mother was so stoic and private, she wouldn't let these other people who wanted to help her, her coworkers, her other friends come in to help carry this load. Um and it was it was just so much. And we didn't laugh and we didn't play. It was just like cancer was just this heavy thing in our lives for years. And so when my mom passed, and I was debating on getting this preventive mastectomy, I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna document it. And I'm oh, I'm gonna be really honest right now. Jeez, I can't bother. Okay, <laughs> so to start. My thinking of like documenting it was oh, this is horrible. This is so bad. Like people, like I have a journey here, so I'm sharing this and know that it goes somewhere else. So okay. before you judge me harshly, people who are listening or watching, um, I'm an actor, and there was a part of me that was like, well, maybe this will be the thing that helps my career.
1: <laughs> like, oh god, no, don't be, don't be a I mean, I mean, I guess because I'm an actor too, that I'm not like. That I don't judge you for that, you know, but because I but I but I remember when you told me I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna do document my thing. I was like, she has some balls. I thought to myself like, <laughs> that, I could it not. Do-
2: that I, <laughs> it wasn't that I had like these like ovaries of steel. It was this desire for um, attention and for success as an artist. So I was like, well, let me use my pain as an artist. And so I was completely whoring out my pain for like my for the art and for the possibility that when this was all done maybe it would help my career that's like the super honest truth which people don't normally would never share so (laughs) that's why I recorded it and then was like let me share this and then it was and then so that was one part of it the other part was having witnessed my mother and having seen how quiet and private she was there was a part of me that also understood that I had to ask for more help because I didn't want all of this to be on my husband. Mm. And so it was part attention in the beginning that changed. So that wanting attention morphed into realizing that I needed help. Um, and I didn't want my husband to be burdened with all of this because I'd been that per- I'd been him. And so I knew how hard that was, Um, um, but it's it's, it's so interesting because I've had cancer twice now. And so I've done it two different ways and I watched my mother have cancer. And so I've experienced cancer in three different ways now where I, it's like horrible, but I've been able to try on like, so there's the stoic, don't share it, don't like, like only keep it very insulated, which I understand, I get. I went the immediate opposite way for my own. I yelled it from the rooftop. I was super loud about it. I shared so much of it. I would do dance parties and all this stuff. And people were amazing. I got so much help that I really needed emotionally of different people would bring me to chemo every week and we would dance. And because I would put out these dance party videos of me dancing in chemo, more people would call up and be like, hey, can I bring you to chemo? So I always had somebody to bring me to chemo, which kept my spirits up. So I looked forward to chemo, which was a weird kind of like, I like chemo because people would play and come with me. And it was like fun when I had like, and so it was just, I went all in, I was like, and then after I had cancer, I'd a cancer grad with my friend Nora, which was like reframing it and And I gave up acting and I went all into that. And I realized I just lost myself. I became the cancer lady. Like everything became cancer. Um, And um, two years ago now, I ended up, I'd given up cancer grad, I'd gone back to acting. I was like, you know what? I want to find me again. Like, who am I after all this? It's just something I did. I am not somebody, like it's like, I am not like breast cancer did not make who I was. And I felt for a while that I was only interesting because I had cancer. Like that was the most interesting thing about me. And I was like, no, I need to let go of that. It was just so heavy and it had become my identity. And so I was starting back up and living again. And uh, I had a little thing on my nose that I got checked out by my dermatologist. For those of you who are listening on the podcast, I am very pale, redhead who lives in South Florida. So I am just a prime candidate for skin cancer. And I had had this spot seven years prior. We, they cut it out. I got mo's done, but I picked the doctor off my like insurance list. I never checked who they were. Like, I just didn't know these things. Like, it was like, yeah, sure. A doctor's a doctor. So all of a sudden um, I had this bump where the scar was and I was teaching an improv class. For Gildas Club, which is a cancer organization, to teach cancer patients improv. So I I still do this today, actually, on Zoom now.
1: Yes, and I saw that. Of, you did like a Saturday night live.
2: Uh we have so much fun. That's we have so, so cool. much fun. But one of our students, we were all sharing our cancer journeys, and one of our one of the students shared their journey, and theirs was like skin cancer. And they were telling the story, and I got the willies, and I was like, uh oh. So this bump that wasn't going away on my nose, I went to the dermatologist, we biopsied it, came back inconclusive. Um, I'm gonna wait, had them biopsy it again. Like it was, like this was a whole thing of like me going like, okay, like let's biopsy it a second time because I remember this person's story. I was like, can we just go straight to Moe's? I just like, I'm an actor. I have this huge chunk taken out of my nose. I'm thinking like, oh my God, like my looks. Is, like, what am I gonna do? I have this hole in like, just like this. And it was like a little hole. I look back, I'm like, that was nothing. So we ended, I ended up going to this really great Moe's doctor. So Moe's is where they take slice by slice of your skin. They look at it under a microscope. You're awake the entire time. And they stop cutting once they don't see cancer anymore. So this is how they deal with, a, like, this was a basal cell carcinoma. This wasn't, um, a m- like, malignant, horrible cancer. But it was still, like, they have to cut it out. They, this is how they do it. They have to cut it out for basal cell. Well, I'm sitting there. I'm supposed to be leaving for Paris to meet a friend in 11 days. I have a video shoot in three days. And I'm thinking this is going to be nothing. I'm like, you already took the ball out during that biopsy. This is going to be nothing, whatever. They, um, they start cutting and they realize that half of my nose is cancer. And so they, by the end, I go in six times, awake the whole time, all day. By the end of the Mose session, I have lost half of my nose. It's like the entire like nostril was gone on my right side.
1: Before I forget, I wanted to let you know that I have a free gift for all my listeners. It's a free abundance guided meditation that I created especially for you. It's the meditation that I use on a daily basis. It will help you bust through money blocks to realign with receiving what you want. There's a lot of power in giving yourself positive suggestions to develop an abundance mindset And also there's power in visualizing a compelling future so that you can create new momentum in the direction that you wish your life to go. So if you want to attract more abundance in your life, go to mamasconganas.com forward slash abundant. And
2: it was, again, it was one of those like, when my mom showed up to tell me she had cancer, I started that day thinking one thing, and by the end of it, everything had changed again, and I didn't know if, like, and I looked jacked up, like, and so I go to see the plastic surgeon right away, we, they schedule me for, like, in three days, and I'm like, can I still go to Paris? Like, I was asking, like, can I still, like, go to Paris, like, in 11 days? And they're like, no, you are a hole in face. Um, I get put under and they do what they call a like like a skin flap they keep it attached to my forehead so they cut a two inch wide vertical strip up my forehead into my scalp spun it around and attached it onto that like where the hole was so like my scalp was inside my nose um, and I had this like elephant trunk that was there for two months of just And and I went into every two weeks I'd go back under the like under anesthesia and they would sculpt it and they took part of my ear to make the cartilage and it was this like two month process of with this thing on my face and it was horrifying Um, but I had learned so that time I was very private with it yeah because I didn't find
1: out about it. You only happened to put it something, but it was like the the way I, I remember that I called you, I was like, what's going on now? Uh, because I know like the breast cancer, that, that whole episode had passed. I didn't know in the meantime that you had left the cancer grad. Um, mm-hmm. But when I called you again, you were just going, you had just gone through this actually. You were mm-hmm. at the very end.
2: It was horrible. Like I'm not yeah. going to pretend like people say when, they hear buzz minutes. they're like, I don't know how you could do it. Like, how? Like, and we're talking about fear here. Like, your whole yeah. podcast was this yeah. is supposed to be examining fear. Fear, yeah. It's it's not that you're not afraid. It's just that you have to keep moving, and you're afraid while you're moving. But people are they don't realize how resilient they are. I think you see somebody else, when you go, I could never do that, and it's like, no, once you're in it, you would be surprised that actually you can do it, um, and it becomes normal and it's, and you work your way through it, and then life changes again. Um, I mean, I, I modeled six months, eight months after it happened for, like, Disney, like, after they rebuilt my face, I didn't have a nose, like, I still have, like, a foreign scar across my forehead, but I'm
1: modeled, You can't tell, but I remember it wasn't that, you know, you're in that place maybe now, but I remember specifically when we spoke, you said to me, Valentina, I'll never be, I'll never be, I'll never act again. Like you were at that moment where you thought I'm not going to be able to do that, which I love the most. mm -hmm, Yeah. And and you, and I, and, and, and then the other thing that stuck in my head that you said to me during that conversation was I learned for the first time, like that people are very different to you when you look a certain way. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, um, I am attractive during our, according to our society standards of beauty, I am considered attractive where people will pay me money to take my photo. So there is that. And I have walked through life like that and not realizing the impact like the privilege that came with that. Like, I just didn't know. I thought, because I was so nice, like I really worked on being kind and nice, that that's why people interacted with me. Very nice and kind back, was I thought, cause that's what I, the energy I'm putting out. That's, you know, retu- that's the energy we're giving. It's bullshit. Like, come, to, I, I was still nice. I was still my normal self. And when I had this thing across my face, people wouldn't talk to me. Or if they would, out in public, they would ask, like, what happened? What's going on with your face? What's behind that bandage? People wouldn't make eye contact with me. I remember, like, if I wear a really fun hat, right? Like, and I love wearing hats. I Inevitably, somebody will go, oh, my gosh, I love that hat. I had this bright red crazy hat that I was, like, it was, like, a neon sign where I'm just, like, trying to be, like, please say nice hat and nobody would speak to me I remember and it got to the point where I wouldn't even open my front door if like like I I wouldn't even like want to order food and have to answer the door like I told my neighbor I'm like I'm gonna send this to your house if you just bring it over to me um because I the UPS guy like rang the doorbell I had to sign something I opened the door and he looks up at me he's like what happened to your face like I have flesh that's like this raw flesh that's spread, like stretched across my face. And I, I, it, the our society drove me indoors. Um, but what I had, in a weird way, I had thankfully been through cancer now, twice in essence with my mom and then mine. And so I knew while I wasn't loud and out there about it, and I still might at some point share, I took a lot of amazing photos with my uh, with Lynn Parks. She yes, would, she took, I know Lynn. She, yes. She's amazing. And she took these incredible beauty shot photos of me throughout the process of my face. And it's, wow. they're insane photos. They literally are. They look like a cover girl photo with like mangle. It's, it's insane. It's really cool and insane. And so I, I, at some point I will share those when I'm ready. But I learned that using art, so I reached out to Lynn right away and like, can we do this art piece? Like, can we make a photo series following this process of rather than the before and after, I want the in-between. Like, I want to show what it takes to get to the after.
1: Yes. Yeah. And it's like the caterpillar turning into the butterfly. Like, we look at the butterfly and we forget the process that-
2: We don't see the cocoon.
1: We don't see the cocoon, what happens. And that's the or the, it's the pain. It's the journey mm-hmm. of- Pushing through, where you're just like, I don't know if I can go through this.
2: Yeah. And so I learned that from breast cancer of like using art. So I did the one woman show, I did a photo series that got picked up by Cosmo and Daily Mail and some like all these other countries. Like, so I used art to cope with breast cancer. So I used it again this time, but I decided to keep it very quiet and allow myself to process rather than putting it out before I was done healing.
0: Um, emotionally
2: Ah. I went through therapy while I was going through this I saw a therapist every week and actually I think during this I might have seen her twice a week because I was so like I'd come in practically crawling into that room I was it was so difficult and I I didn't want to deny the experience like a lot of my breast cancer experience was denial. It was, look how happy I am. Look how, like, look what a positive cancer patient I am. But I I was hiding so much of the pain and the sadness and the fear and the grief to make other people feel good because I wanted, because I had been the caregiver before. So I now wanted everyone else around me to feel good, but I never felt my pain. I never was honest with it. And so this time I was like, I'm going to be honest with it. And it was so painful, but I wanted to heal through the process rather than have to heal after the process emotionally. Did you um, feel
1: that that's what happened with breast cancer that you have, that you healed not in the process, but after the process?
2: Mm-hmm. I, I healed physically during, but then afterwards, it took me years to heal emotionally from breast cancer experience. Years. It, it's it, so hard.
1: And can I ask you a question? Mm-hmm. What was the hardest part? Is it like, Yeah. What was the hardest part? Like what, what was that part of you that you just were like, oh, I just, you know, because on the, like you said, on the outside physically, it's like, we saw the the Aniela back.
2: Turkey, like, yeah. so let me um, clarify your question, just for my own understanding. Do you mean after I finished cancer that it seemed like I was back? Or do you mean during the process when I was like super upbeat and Person. No, like
1: afterwards, like afterwards, okay. you know, we, we, I guess because you were so vocal when you went through the the breast cancer that we felt like, okay, well now that her body's back, well, she's back. She's fine. Yeah. But like You're saying that you healed emotionally after what was the yeah. hardest part from that breast cancer journey that was the hardest to heal or the part that you really didn't want to e- examine within yourself?
2: Well, it was, I think that, uh, that part. Uh, One of the most insidious things, I think, was this perpetual positivity. Because people, when you have cancer, will be like, it's all about your attitude. And they almost shame you as a cancer patient that if you are not upbeat or perky, if you show the ounce of fear, sadness, grief, um, the mourning of the life that you thought you were going to have, people will shut you down. Like the people around you will be like, no, 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 you got to keep your spirit up. And so learning that people would love me, even if I was sad, or if I wasn't making them feel good, that I was still worthy, that I didn't have to make everyone better. Um, And that was the part that I think I had to heal the most. And to know that It wasn't my fault that I got cancer. You felt that it was your fault at one point. I did. I felt that it was um, that some like I think this is the this is the downside. This is the dark side of self help, is that law of attraction idea. Yes. So this law of attraction. Well, then I must have attracted this. And I even had a friend, a very spiritual friend, when I had just been diagnosed, came over to do energy healing on me. And when she hugged me to leave, she was like, do you think you manifested your cancer?
1: Oh my God. Oh my
2: God. Um, and the honest answer was, yeah, I did think I did. And, and that took me a lot to get over. Because if that meant that I had somehow given myself cancer by my thoughts or by my beliefs or by my karma, that somehow I could maybe change it and have it not happen again. And to realize that maybe we don't have that level of control over the world around us or our own selves, and that I am a good person and I happen to also get cancer, And it didn't mean that I did anything wrong or that I didn't think the right thoughts or that I didn't eat the right foods or whatever else we get put on us when you are going through. I mean, we have a major issue with victim blaming. Because I think people want to feel like, well, it's not going to happen to me because this is why this happened to that person. Like we, this is, like we need to have an answer, but this is an unanswerable question. Why did I get cancer? Some cells went awry. Was it my fault? I've gotten it twice. Was it my fault? No, and I can, and that was, I couldn't say that a few years ago. I genuinely, like, it wasn't my fault. Um, but I, a few years ago, if I had, I couldn't have said it, I couldn't have said, no, I couldn't have said it and believed it. Um, so that was the hardest part.
1: Yeah. I, I you know what you, I think you nailed it on the head when you said that that's the dark side of, of the self-help world is that, you know, because we, we were all, we're constantly saying it's the law of attraction It's the law of attraction, your thoughts. It's what that, that's what it attracts. But then there's some areas in life. And we all know that things happen in our lives that are, that are literally like tragedies. I mean, I've, you know, mm-hmm. I've had friends around me that have had tragedies that you're just like this, my friend did not deserve, or my no. family didn't family member did not deserve. So I, I do think we have to be more in general, more compassionate towards everyone. You know, mm-hmm. there's also a fine line. Cause I remember when I was going through my whole divorce journey and I was like, I I The only thing I wanted to talk about was that. Did that happen to you with cancer? It's like, but people didn't want to hear about it. People didn't want to hear about my divorce. But it's the only thing you want to talk about because you feel so, you're just like ready to explode. And it's it's so, you're so encapsulated in that. And you're processing it. And we need to process
2: things by sometimes saying them out loud and feeling them bounce off. Yes. A hundred percent. I am absolutely with you. And uh, people shy away from discomfort. And they don't know what to say and they're and so they changed the subject. Um, I found that I didn't see people's reactions to it. So I would just dump it on them. My husband thought I was doing it on purpose where people would get like really uncomfortable and I would just like force them into discomfort. But what actually was happening was I was disconnecting so much that I could not see them. I was just vomiting this stuff yes. out and I could not see their reactions, and I was just like forcing it down their throats of like, we're gonna talk about cancer now i can actually see like i can read the room finally i'm like oh they don't want to talk about this that's okay um but this is another benefit another teacher another lesson i learned from cancer like some people are like sidewalks where it rains and they can hold a puddle right that's it and then those of us who have had crap happen in our lives it's like a sinkhole for Floridians, we know what sinkholes are. It, the ground opens up below the sidewalk, and it is a cavernous space. And while you're going through this, it's filled with water, and you can't handle it anymore. But once you finish and it drains, what happens is when somebody else is also going through trauma, we can sit in it. And when somebody is going through something, I I invite. Let's talk about it. And I will just sit here and feel your pain with you because I can. F- I can fit so much more pain in me now, and I I don't have to change you. I know I don't have to fix it, but I can allow it to be because I have that space from my own experience. And that's something that compassion and understanding that cancer has given me as well, of like, yeah, let's have uncomfortable conversations and sit in them, and it's okay, and I don't have to fix you. And you can be sad and the best thing I can do for you is just to sit next to you while you're sad. Um, and that's goes to my final thing of I think what I learned was asking for help. We get a, I know I've heard other people say this and I know myself as well. I get offended if people didn't know that I needed help but I never would ask for it. I wouldn't actually specifically say, hey, I need this but I would, the, certain people I thought that I just thought that they should have known like that they were my best friends they should have known I needed them more but if you don't say anything they don't know how to help you and they don't know that you need help because a lot of us on the outside show this facade and so when I was dying when I had half my nose cut off the second time on my drive home I immediately called a few of my friends and I was like I need a slumber party this is what just happened. I have half a nose. I'm going to surgeries. I need you ladies to come over and have a slumber party after my surgery. And I, I, like, this is what I need. And then another friend, we were supposed to have a date night. And she, I told her, I'm like, I just need you to sit next to me and hold my hand while we watch a movie on my couch. And she did that. And I have an amazing husband too. But again, I tried to not put all of my emotional healing and process on him because he's also dealing with this so I try to spread it out onto friends a bit more but if we don't ask like I and I still would struggle with it I'd talk to my therapist where I'm like I want to go get a smoothie but I don't want to show up to the smoothie place with this on my face because people look at me weird and she's like why are you undervaluing your emotional health versus she's like when you were going through breast cancer you would have asked for help because you didn't have the energy because of chemo but now you're not asking for the help. And I'm like, yeah, because I can physically do it. And she's like, yeah, but emotionally you can't. She's mm-hmm. a, and so she put me on house arrest. She's like, you're not allowed out of your house. You need to ask your friends and family members to go pick you up a smoothie. You have to ask them. And so she made me like, cause by the end I was like, well, I can not do it myself. But it was like peeling off my own skin every time I went out of my house It was so painful. And so it was learning to ask specifically Valentina I need you can you make me your favorite dish and come over and just sit with me and eat it (laughs) Like, like how much better is that and I think what people have an issue with is like well I don't want to be a burden that's what I hear a lot I don't want to be a burden but I ask you have you ever helped someone else how do you feel after you help them amazing amazing and so you are a selfish ass if you're going through something and you don't ask for help because now you're denying somebody else getting that good feeling
1: of helping you wow that's so true you're a jerk you're not being (laughs) stoic you're a jerk and selfish I I think one of the hardest parts about asking for help is that you feel like uncapable or you feel like you feel, I don't know. You feel, it's like you almost feel. It's like you're trying to avoid the fact that you kind of feel sorry for yourself. Like you're saying, like you said, we have a big problem with feeling like the victim. And in reality, I do. I think there's a fine line because with that and also staying the victim for the rest of your life, or always seeing yourself as the victim, because I feel like that can also be a trap. That if you get stuck in, and you're ne- and you never become the victor, or you never push through, because in your in your in, in your story. it's very clear that you're not that, but sometimes we need to understand that, yes, we're going through the, we're going through, you know, we're victims at this moment. We need help. I need your help. But I think, you know what I'm saying? Like there's two lines. Then there's other people who live in the victim.
2: Absolutely. And they're a pain in the ass. And then I don't want to help them. Cause they're (laughs) like, let's be honest. So it's this, it's this weird line. Okay. So now I want to dive into that just a smidge more, because I think also if you're asking for help, you need to understand that people have the right to say no. And I think that's the scary part is asking for help and then having someone saying no and taking it personally. Taking it, it yes, it yes. It might not be personal. They might like ha- legitimately have something else going on or they are their sinkhole is full as well and they can't fit any more in in this moment which is part of the reason cultivating multiple friendships multiple relationships and seeing who like i did not have the same person always helping me i had a bunch of them because i would try to spread it out as much as possible so that it wasn't one friend over and over and over again because that's too much to ask and I never, and the reason I had a hard time with the no, like the fear that someone was going to say no is because I had not learned how to say no myself. So if somebody asked me to do something, even if I didn't want to do it, I would say yes. So I was afraid to say no. So I was uncomfortable accepting no from somebody else. So it's like, that's a mirror there. That's the mirror. Oh my God. That's So
1: I love that. Yes. When you're uncomfortable, when you're, when you're afraid of getting that, no, it's probably because you don't know how to say no for yourself. And I think that's a huge thing. And mostly for women. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. We have such a hard time making our boundaries and saying, okay, no, I'm, I'm sorry. I can't.
2: But once you learn to say no for yourself and go, no, I can't. And you understand the feeling inside going, oh, this wasn't personal to that person. I just literally cannot right now, and maybe I can in the future, and knowing what you're capable of means that then once you ask for help from somebody else, you have that compassion for them of understanding you might not be able to either right now. Maybe now is a bad time. Maybe your kids, it's insane right now, like, and so I, becoming more comfortable if the person says no, knowing that I have multiple people I can ask, and being very, like, if the per, I am very straightforward, like, if you can't do it, please tell me no. Like, I will give that in advance of like, do not feel like I'm gonna be offended. Please tell me no if you can't. And we'll find, like, I don't take it personally. But so I think that's another part of where people are afraid to ask for help is because they don't want to be told no because they themselves don't tell other people no. And then they are resent, they do the thing, that the other person asks, but they're resentful the entire time. Yeah. their mouth
1: says yes, but their heart says no. Says no, yeah. And my baby's crying again. But I I want to end this because I I feel like you're the out of all our conversation. I think <laughs> this is in real life. The big one is babysitting. I told him one hour, please, Lucci, take care of your brother for one hour, please. So um, no, I want to I, I want to highlight something that I think has come up over and over in our conversation. And I think it's the fact that pain and all of these things that, that, that you lived through at the end, what it's shown you is compassion. Like what I see coming through your pores is, is compassion. You learn at the end of the day to be able to understand other humans better. Like that's what I'm getting from your whole experience. But if
2: you can't be compassionate for yourself, you can't genuinely be compassionate for others.
1: Oh my gosh. Absolutely. We have to love. Yeah, that is so true. We need to love ourselves. And even when we don't feel proud of ourselves, finding that like, I love you anyway. Like I've actually had to say that to myself, Mm -hmm. you know, when I'm in the kitchen, like if I'm really upset, upset at myself and I tell myself, Valentina, I still love you. Just that makes me feel Mm -hmm. like, Comforted. I mean, when I make myself feel comforted, then I can extend that compassion outward to, towards other people. Yeah, absolutely. Aniel, can you read us your poem, your beautiful poem? Oh, goodness. She wrote, she wrote a play that I went to see after her breast cancer. Uh, what was it? It was called um, I Don't, have, I don't cancer. have Cancer. That's right. I Don't Have Cancer. And at the end, she shares this poem. And everybody that was sitting <laughs> in the audience will just like burst into tears when they heard that. It's so beautiful because it, it really talks about um, pain as your teacher. Okay. Are you ready? Yes. Um, and this is
2: the, the show ends pretty much with this. This is Cancer's perspective. So this is a poem from Cancer, ends up saying this poem because it's yes. from his, his perspective. I have wars waged upon me and walks staged against me. You try to blame me and shame me for doing my job, but maybe you should look at why I arrived. You blame genetics or food for giving you this curse, but it's not what you put in your mouth but what didn't come out that was worse. You invited me in. You asked me to stay by bearing your feelings and the things you wanted to say. That hate that you ate was your true poison. And the only way out is to learn to be open. I have no malice or motive, a villain I am not. And if you look deep within, you will realize this is a gift I have brought. Life is too short. And you are doing it all wrong. And the fastest way to fix it is for me to come along. I am a teacher, and I give you a gift more precious than life. The realization that you have caused your very own strife. I do not break families apart. I bring them together. I show you that the weak are strong, and to be vulnerable is better. All that glitters is not gold. Your youth, hair and breasts will all get old. You have put value in an asset with diminishing returns. And I will make sure that all of it burns. And out of the ashes, true beauty will grow. And love is the only word you will need to know, and I pray that one day you will truly forgive, because that will be the moment you begin to live.
1: Oh my gosh, oh. <laughs> it's gorgeous, so beautiful. Thank you, Aniela. Thank you. I, we could sit here and talk for hours. We know. could but like honestly, what a blessing! What a blessing!
2: Thank you Thank for you. inviting me on, and. uh rest of the
1: breast cancer awareness month hey ladies go feel yourself up go
2: check those boobs
1: <laughs>
2: remind your friends to do it too
1: well we, yeah what we did talk about is how you, you you talk you use laughter to go through everything and i think that's beautiful because we all need a little bit of that smiles and laughter and yeah. yes life can suck and you can still laugh at it exactly
2: <laughs> we all know that right now come on quarantine yes pandemic quarantine. economic crisis <laughs> yes Thank you, girl. All right.
1: To share your thoughts and comments on this episode, go to mamasconganas.com forward slash 54. And if you enjoyed listening to this as much as I enjoyed sharing it with you, make sure to share with all your
0: amigas.